and welcome to Sisterhood. We are so happy to gather. I say that every time I'm blessed to have the platform, but I mean it from all of my heart. I'm so glad to look out and to see all of God's, God's women that have gathered here. And I just pray that this lesson will be a blessing to you, that it will refresh you, strengthen you, challenge you even. We are gathered to talk about proximity today. I wanted to share with you first off that you were made to live your life in proximity to God and in proximity to others. Let's define the word proximity. It means the state of being next to, immediate nearness, nearness in space, time, or relationship. So think of this. You were made to live your life in immediate nearness with God. God, who created the universe, put you on the planet so that you could be in immediate nearness with him. And as well, you were fashioned to be in immediate nearness to other people. What a gift to do life with others. And even in sisterhood, we have fellowship and proximity one to another as we sit week after week. Such a gift from the Father. Let's look at what the Bible has to say first about proximity to God. Genesis chapter 1 tells us we know in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. He created all the things, the sky, the dry, the dry land, the animals, the plants, in five days, and he deemed it all good. And yet, as good as it was, there was something missing, something left undone. Because you see, up and through day five, nothing that God made had been made in his image. And because that's true, nothing he made could engage in relationship with him. And so Genesis 1.17 tells us that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Well, it goes on to tell us that right after that, looking at all that he made, all that he fashioned, including people, it wasn't just good, but it was very good. So to consider the divine trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the divine trinity determined that man, meaning humanity at large, was to have God's image as well as his likeness. And so you and I are three-part beings also. I am a spirit, and I have a soul, and I'm encased in a body. Hmm? I have the capacity to relate to hear, to see, and speak. And because of this, it's true of all human beings everywhere, everyone that God made has been made with those three facets, spirit, soul, and body. And as a result, God's deep desire for relationship is met through people. He created us to be close to him. We hear the prophet Ze Zechariah cry out to God's people in Zechariah 1.3. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Return to me and I will return to you. And there are lots of other Old Testament prophets that communicated the same message. And just side note here, you know that in the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament, the people who believed in God were not infused with the Holy Spirit. He didn't live in the people. And so when God spoke, he didn't speak through the Holy Spirit to individuals like he does to us today, but rather he spoke through a prophet. And so Malachi is another one of the prophets, like Zechariah just referenced. In Malachi 3.7, 
we read, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees. This is God speaking through Malachi, and you failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. We move into the New Testament. We see that God's yearning remains. In, in James chapter 4, verse 8, James, who has had personal encounters with the Lord, he conveys the same message. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. In all of these verses and many others just like them, there is this implication that the way to intimacy with God has already been made. In other words, his command to come near implies that the invitation has been granted because he's love. And again, he yearns for closeness, for proximity with us as his children. We know the Bible tells us he's a jealous God, but it's a healthy jealousy. It's a yearning for affection and close-knit relationship that says there's nothing more important than God, than me and God. There's nothing that would get in the way. God is jealous for each of our hearts in that fashion. He's so powerful, and yet what's so amazing about God is that he's also a gentleman. What do I mean? He extends the invitation, but then waits for us to receive that invitation. He's not pushy. He doesn't shove. He's not overbearing. He simply watches and waits in hope and eager anticipation. And at the slightest, at the slightest inkling of us taking a step, even a tiny step closer to God, he's right there to reciprocate. I like to think of it this way. God is in the ready position. Are you familiar with track races and running? The one who's about to compete in a track race, in a, in a is that what it's called, a track race? Uh, track race? I don't know. When they're about to run, <laughs> they line up on the, on the starting line and their fingers are like this feet are in the blocks and their hind end is up, raised. And what are they looking for? They're looking for the man or the woman that's holding the gun to hear the crack of the gun. And as soon as the crack of the gun sounds, the, the race has started, right? Well, that's how God is. He's in position, waiting. And your step closer is like the crack of the gun. And as soon as he sees and acknowledges you leaning into him, He's often running into your circumstance, into your situation. It's such a beautiful, just such a beautiful um, way of considering his love for us. He lets us choose. Not only do we read in the Bible, draw near to God, come back to me, come in closer, but we also hear him because we are new covenant believers and we do have the Holy Spirit so that when we're frantic over a situation at work, it's likely that he's gently knocking on our hearts saying, talk to me. Hey, turn off, turn off that phone and just let's sit together in the word. And the inclination that you have to lean in when, when you dare to follow that prompt and listen and receive his invitation brings forth so many blessings. What happens when we get in proximity to God? That's where we're going next. <laughs> In Matthew 11:28, Jesus says, when you come to him, he gives you rest. Rest. As a result of coming to him. 
I was thinking about this in the last few days. Like we try to rest by scrolling on a phone, maybe, or laying on a beach somewhere. Doesn't that sound lovely? <laughs> but really, the rest that we need can only be given to us by intimacy with him, hearing his voice, being assured of his love. Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 33.3 that by calling out to him, we get answers. Call to me and I will answer you. He makes us fishers of men when we follow him. That is to say, we actually gather people into his family just simply by staying close. When we live our lives close to Jesus, and when we respond differently than the world does, it's like he's drawing people into his kingdom through our witness. In John 18, we're told that whoever follows him will have and enjoy the light of life. There are days, aren't there, when we can feel dark, dreary, not just because of our weather, but because of something that we're walking in, a situation. Our thoughts are maybe depressed or downcast. But in fact, by getting closer to him and engaging and, and drawing near to him, he promises the light of life that only he has to, to give us. He likens our connectedness with him to branches that are attached to a vine. And he says, when you live that close, when you abide in the vine, you're going to bear fruit that is otherwise not possible. Whew. Truly, all that we hunger and thirst to have, those deepest desires that sometimes we look over there to be satisfied and over there and we think, if only... He says, no, no, it's me. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, comes to me, shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. We think about natural bread. What does it do to our natural bodies? It nourishes and energizes us, right? It sustains us. It fills us. And Jesus is saying here in this passage that spiritually speaking, he being in proximity with him is what sustains and nourishes. So clearly we see that the Lord and proximity to the Lord is really everything we need. Yes? Anybody agree? I mean, over and over, I, d I didn't use all of the scriptures that we could have to say the benefits of our proximity with him. But it's everything that we need, and yet because he's so good, he gives us even above and beyond that in being in proximity with people as well. My goodness, back in the Garden of Eden, to go back, God knew that his plan would not be complete if Adam remained alone. Loneliness is real. Mm -hmm. The Hebrew word translated desolate or lonely in the Old Testament means this, one alone, one who is solitary, forsaken, wretched, Loneliness is a state of mind. It's an emotion that's brought on by feeling separate from other human beings. You heard me say, it's a, it's a state of mind. It's an emotion brought on by feeling. Mind, emotion, feeling. You know what? That's all part of the soul. Earlier I said that you are a spirit and you have a soul and you are living, dwelling in a body. But the loneliness and that emotion is part of your soul. Make no mistake, God's plan for us does not include us living our lives lonely. On the contrary, 
We read his remedy for loneliness in Genesis 2.18. The Lord said, it is not good, say not good. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so we know the story, don't we? God made Eve. And he gave Eve proximity to Adam as well as proximity to God. And so on and so on. So on it went. Think about Naomi and Ruth. They were in proximity one with another, a mother and a, and a, a mother-daughter-in-law relationship. As a result of being in proximity, they sharpened one another, they helped one another and encouraged and spurred one another on. We can say the same thing about David and Jonathan. What about Mary and Elizabeth? What about Paul and Silas? What about Jesus and the disciples? Again and again and again, we see people that God ordained to be in proximity one with another and the benefit and the fruit and the plan of God that came to pass. Consider what God brought to pass in those lives of the people I just mentioned. It's incredible, it's amazing. So what about you? Have you ever really thought about who the Lord has put in proximity to you and what he wants to do to bring out his plan? I'm talking about above and beyond, like just having a friend to shop with or, you know what I mean? That's important. But, but what does God want to do in and through the relationships that he's granted you, the proximity that you have with others? Because when God's people are in proximity, his love is put on display. So with the rest of our time, I want to consider cultivating the proximity we have to God's people by reaching out, showing up, and loving boldly. So first of all, reaching out to those in proximity. We're going to read Acts 2, 44 through 47. <clears throat> and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Wow, they spent a lot of time together in church, in their homes. They were generous toward one another. They shared their possessions, their money. They shared their food their times of worship. It was amazing community. The New King James there says they were with one accord. This means that they were um, unified, that they had one mind and one purpose. And it seems clear to me that this church in Acts chapter 2, they're really, truly, their one purpose, their, their unified purpose was to display the love of God. Think about this. They voluntarily helped each other, served each other, sewed into each other, put aside their thing for the benefit of others. It was as if they'd received the love of God to the point where it's just splashing all about everywhere they went. And while his love was at work, this is so remarkable. You know what God did? Did you catch, catch this? He brought more people into the fellowship. So in other words, love was the means through which the church grew. How can we align our hearts with his love in similar fashion? I know you've looked at Mark 12 in previous weeks, Mark 12, 30 to 31, but remember, we're to love the Lord our God and we're to love our neighbor. These are, it says, there is no other commandment greater 
than these. So to emulate this early church, let me challenge you with a series of questions. Are you ready? You're ready. What can you let go of or maybe give away that would bless others? We've all got a lot in our closets, a lot in our cabinets, in our garages. What could we let go of or give away? Think about your, your talents, your skill set. How could you put God's love on display by offering to help someone in need, a neighbor? What might you sell in order to provide financial support to others who are in need? To sow into kingdom builders? To give to someone down the road even? Or a local fundraiser at a school or in a community center? Are you willing to follow the example of this church that we just read of in Acts chapter 2? Here's one. How could you simplify what it means to open your home and be more hospitable? Have you thought ever about keeping appetizers or maybe desserts in the freezer, buying a little extra coffee just to have something on hand should the opportunity present itself to open your door and welcome someone in and just offer them a treat? The Bible says, we read it already, that these people shared their meals with great joy and generosity. You know what? I was convicted years ago in reading this. The Lord said to me, Kristen, notice the scripture doesn't say the early church dusted and vacuumed and made sure that their homes were sparkly and perfect before they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. The focus, in fact, was on what? Being together. Being together. How can we make being together the most important thing? You know what? I think for me, it requires getting over myself. It's really okay if you use a paper plate and a plastic fork. It's really okay if your table isn't looking like a magazine. Be together. Perhaps you've been stirred by the Lord to invite someone in, but then you hear a whisper in your mind saying, well, she's never extended an invitation to you. Why would you do that? Okay, let me tell you, that's not God. That's not the Lord telling you that. Or maybe you yourself have felt loneliness and you yourself have been wondering why nobody invites you over, reaches out to you. These kind of thoughts are, again, a tactic and a strategy of the enemy, okay? Because the devil does not want God's people to exemplify God's love. And he'll do everything that he can, and so every lie that he can in your mind to get you to not do what the Holy Spirit's prompting you to do. So in that case, what we want to apply here is Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 which says let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up there is a due season there is a promise here that says there's an appointed season where you will be the recipient of the invitation you will be invited, you will be included and welcomed, but the key is to continue to plant seeds of fellowship yourself because we reap what we sow, amen? Mm -hmm. And so while we talk now, we've talked about reaching out to others, we also wanna look at the importance of being present with them. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. 
Seems like when I was a child, I remember my parents thought nothing of stepping out and just visiting a friend, just stopping in. Or on the flip side, our doorbell ringing after dinner, even on a weeknight, and someone stopping over, the family, uh, family friends or a couple or whatever, and I'd hear my parents say, oh, how great to see you, come on in. And you know what, in that moment, the decision that the dishes that were waiting to be done could wait, Mm -hmm. They were waiting to be done. If the TV was on, the TV got shut off. And people actually sat down and looked at each other and had a conversation. If the phone rang, remember now, the phone was in a different room attached to the wall, and it rang loudly, but it was no big deal. We just kept talking because the thought then was that if somebody really needed you, they'd call back later. There were no interruptions. People knew how to be present. In 2018, my husband Keith and my daughter Emma and I went to Vietnam on a global team. And of course, when you go anywhere on the other side of the world, there's culture shock, it's always how it is. But the most visible difference was the Vietnamese hospitality. The nature of our trip was to go and do prayer walks through these villages. These were people groups that had never been reached with Jesus, the message of the gospel. And so we went to form, you know, to form a prayer line, if you will, and to just cover these villages in prayer. But it never failed that every village that we went to included an unexpected visit from a family that saw us out their window. We'd walk through on these dirty, dusty roads and stray dogs and chickens here and there, and we'd see houses up on stilts of bamboo and wood, and people leaning out their window, which wasn't glass, by the way, just a cutout, and, and they would beckon us in, welcome us in almost insist with their sign language to come in. They wanted to be in community. They wanted us to chat with them and giggle with them. And in fact, there was one situation that the women were so excited to have my daughter and me there that they started getting out their traditional dress and, and telling me to put it on. They wanted to see what I would look like. I brought a picture, and if we could put that, yeah. So there I am, the tall American Scandinavian lady in this home. I mean, it was amazing to me. And to think that their hospitality, you know what, they know nothing about Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. They just wanted to be friendly and to be in proximity. We learned from them. So how about you? You dare to open your door and just welcome someone. I understand we live in a different culture, but in the family of God, this might be pleasing to the Lord, amen? Hmm? To lend a listening ear, to stop by someone and deliver his kindness. The night that I learned my mother died was a very sorrowful night, of course. She was, I was, it was tragic and unexpected. And I remember Keith and I sitting on the front porch. I was talking with my sister and and crying with her and I looked out in the dark night and there was something that caught my attention and as I peered out a little I realized it was my friends and neighbors at the time Derek and Rochelle and they were just walking so calmly down the road and as they approached the house I hung up with my sister and as they continued to get nearer and nearer I started to cry harder and harder it was amazing, the demonstration of love, the way they walked up so peacefully, and they just sat. There weren't words spoken. They cried with me. They embraced me. They listened. They were present. And together we experienced the blessing of proximity. 
Our friends loved boldly that night. It wasn't loud love, but it was bold. And here's why I say that. They stepped out in faith to obey the prompt of the Holy Spirit. You see, they didn't know, they didn't check ahead of time to know if we would be home or if I was in the mood to have company. They just came out of obedience to the Lord. They had a prompt in their heart. And those Vietnamese people who invited us in, I would say they too had a certain amount of courage to have us come into their home as strangers. They weren't doing what the Bible says, but it sure was lovely. And they didn't know how it was going to turn out for them. I could have walked away wearing that outfit, honestly. But you know what I think? I think that somewhere they just decided that the gain, that the gain was worth the risk. Mm -hmm. Jesus lived this way. Remember, he lived on earth as a man. Remember, he was born as a human being and he learned obedience to God. He learned to hear the voice of the Father. And we can follow his example in being present with others. We know the story, don't we, in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Jesus met this Samaritan woman and he spoke to her and he had a conversation with her. And he gave a word of knowledge and she realized, oh, this man knows everything about me. And realizing then that he was likely the Messiah, she dropped her water pot and ran back to the village to tell everyone of this man that she had met. And many, many, as a result, came to believe in Christ. The community was turned upside down because of her testimony. But the interesting thing that I want to point out is that Jesus hadn't necessarily planned on going to Samaria. Did you know that? The Bible tells us in John 4, 4 that he needed to go through Samaria, but it was not a geographical consideration. It was a divine compulsion. It was as if he was compelled to go. He had a stirring on the inside. He had a strong sense that he was to go to Samaria to meet this woman. And once he got there, he gave her his full attention and listened to her while listening to the Father. Jesus was in proximity to her while he was in proximity to God. And as a result, this woman walked away blessed having been in his presence. She felt seen and known by God, valued even by God himself. And ladies, this is the effect that others should experience when they're in proximity to us. Think of it. We have the capacity, just like was modeled to us, to be in proximity to the Father, listening to the Father while we're listening to one another. As you're hearing a friend explain her difficulties and challenges, you're also hearing God tell you how to respond. This is a partnership that we get to be in with God because of proximity. So let's see those who are out and about with a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let's yield to God's divine compulsion to go whichever way he points. And if it wasn't on our list, it's okay. I don't know that Samaria was on Jesus' list either. But are we willing <laughs> say yes? We mustn't look past the blessing of gathering together. Instead, let's practice making it a priority of recognizing, whoa, I'm in proximity with these people right now in this moment. Lord, what are you going to do in this situation? God, I get to be your vessel of hope and light and love and truth, healing. 
The third point, and lastly, I'll say that we cultivate proximity to those around us by stepping out boldly, but always, always making sure that we're being prompted by love. Not pride, this isn't about looking good in front of people or impressing others, but rather having a heart posture that's ready to die for others, to be selfless and generous, to give, to care, to help. His love is the greatest thing in the universe. It's the most powerful force that there is. It softens the heart of the recipient. It draws men to repentance. This is what it is to be the church. Hmm. 1 John 4, 10 and 12 says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Do you know the song by Hillsong called Glimmer in the Dust? The last half of the song, they sing over and over, when all said and done, all that matters is love. It's truth. Freely we've received his love. May we freely give it. Now I want to just say this. If, oops. If you sense a stirring, a prompt to step out and boldly love somebody, it is very likely that you are going to quickly encounter thoughts that are resistant to that idea. You might think, well, that seems kind of weird. Like, I, that, she might think that's weird. Or, you know, maybe she'll be mad because she doesn't have her face on yet today. She's in her pajamas still. It's early in the morning. Maybe I shouldn't do this. I, 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 no, no, no. Or how about this one? It, this really isn't convenient. You really don't have a lot of extra time today. All of this stuff. But understand that, again, the strategies of the enemy want to thwart you from being a vessel of love. Understand that in those moments, one of the questions that I've learned to ask myself is, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I paint the worst thing. So in that case, maybe I'm supposed to, I'm feeling prompted to stop and offer a hug to a friend. <clears throat> I haven't called her ahead of time. I'm starting to wonder, mm, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing is that she would say, not now, and close the door. And then the next question I ask is, well, can you live with that? Yeah, I, I can live with that. And so if this is your situation and you paint the ugly picture and, and you say, well, I can live with that, then do what God is prompting you to do. Hallelujah. What if like Jesus at the well, your time spent ministering brought someone to the family of God? Or what if in ministering to someone, she becomes one of the 500 missionaries that River Valley is going to send out? Or what if she's loosed from the bonds of addiction because of your obedience? Hmm. The gain is worth the risk. In closing, I want to lead you in a time of personal reflection. If you have a pencil or a pen handy, I would like to ask you to take it out. I'm going to ask you just a few more questions and that you be ready to note the people who come to mind as I pose these questions. So, who makes you a better person because of their proximity to you? Who sharpens you, encourages, challenges, and blesses you? Make a note of those names. And additionally, who is made better 
because of their proximity to you. In other words, who do you intentionally sharpen? Who do you intentionally encourage and challenge and bless? And then finally, are there other people that God may be giving to you, putting in your proximity? Just consider whether someone has maybe fallen out of your inner sphere, so to say, but the Lord is prompting you to draw them back in, to reach out to them and bring them into proximity. And finally, I just would like to pray about what you've written down in this lesson. Hallelujah. So, Father, I thank you for the relationships that you're bringing to mind right now. We just thank you for the gift of relationship and being in proximity to others. God, will you speak to us about our proximity to these people? Father, what is your will? Lead us and guide us to nurture these connections and bring more, Lord, so that we can pour out your love to greater degree, so that you can be seen and your kingdom can expand more and more. And also, Lord, we just thank you so much for the gift of what it is to be in proximity with you. Open our eyes, God, more and more to all that this means and stir us to take steps toward you every single day. Sharpen us, encourage, and challenge us, Lord, as we draw nearer and nearer. Thank you, Father. We trust you. We thank you for proximity. Have your way, God, in Jesus' name. And the women of God said, amen. Amen. God bless you.